Welcome to this Frequency Matters podcast. I'm Pat Hindle, and I'm here with my co-host Eric Heim and guest Juan Montoyo. He is Vice President of Engineering at Qualcomm's Corporate Standards Group and the Global Lead for 3GPP Standardization at Qualcomm. Welcome, Juan. Thank you very much, uh, Pat. Uh, happy to be here. So uh, Qualcomm recently detailed plans and key projects to build on the foundation of 5G Advanced and laid the track for a path to 6G through the 3GPP work and study items for release 19, which officially kicks off this year in 2024. So we wanted to get your perspective on a few uh, things on this topic. So maybe you can start off by telling us the focus areas of the study. Yes, well, actually, you know, 3GPP being the uh, the, the standards body that develops uh, before even being called 3GPP, 2G, and then of course 3G, 4G, uh, 5G, and will develop 6G. Actually, there was a December press release from 3GPP just saying that it will develop uh, 6G standards. Well, uh, it uh, release 19 brings in a mix of projects. I mean, of course, it is important for 3GPP uh, ecosystem to continue evolving the 5G platform. And in that sense, um, I would say that the most important uh, customers uh, continue being the operators. And operators typically care about the metrics for their networks, uh, which, of course, go many times hand in hand with uh, the value of their deployments. Uh, so anything related to, to uh, maximizing their cell sites uh, in terms of actually spectral efficiency with multi-antenna techniques, so all these MIMO enhancements, or improving the coverage uh, or facilitating actually ways to uh, provide coverage, right? I mean, there are some topology also enhancements that come in release 19. So that would be actually one category. It's effectively what we call mobile broadband evolution uh, with MIMO enhancements, uh, with topology enhancements, and also very importantly, with network energy savings. I mean, knowing that for operators, one of the metrics of uh, paramount importance is, is being this uh, network energy consumption. When you compare the consumption of 4G networks with, the, with that of 5G, it, it's increased quite a bit. The reason for it is we're talking about more, more spectrum, so more, more bandwidth, and we're talking about more antenna elements that are actually a little bit more power hungry than what they used to be uh, with much le uh, many less uh, elements. Other areas that actually uh, are important um, have been uh, serving verticals. I mean, of course, mobile broadband is the, is the core of the business. They are fueling the entire ecosystem. They are the ones driving volumes, uh, right, with the smartphone industry. But then there are other uh, verticals or adjacencies, right? Uh, there are uh, things like XR, uh, things like, uh, for example, for public safety, uh, uh, topology enhancements related to multi-hop cycling relays. There are projects on uh, satellite evolution. You know, release 17 introduced satellite for the first time in 3GPP. And even back then, there were two tracks. One is for 5G and R, and another one is for IoT. Uh, and that those two tracks continue evolving in release 19 with more improvements. I mean, I'm sure that maybe later we can talk about the details. And then late, lately, as uh, or uh, lastly, as, as you were also hinting to, there are some projects that are kind of starting to breach with 6G. They're more advanced. Whether or not there will be a huge success in the deployment uh, uh, of the 5G era, we, we, uh, time will tell. But certainly from the standards perspective, uh, those are very important because are getting effectively the, the standards community familiar with those. So that actually whenever we get into, into those in 6G, and those certainly will be day one of 6G, we will know very well what we need to do. And in that sense, there are a number of projects, I mean, a little more advanced, like uh, duplexing evolution. There are also AIML, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning applied to air interface problems. 
Um, there is a study uh, basically for mobility and then some advanced, very advanced techniques uh, to lower the, the uh, power consumption of terminals, uh, not just the network as we were discussing earlier, but on terminals with what we call low power wake up signal or wake up radio. And then finally, a couple of channel model studies. Channel model is effectively stage zero of any study that 3GPP does on new spectrum and uh, or, or new use cases. One is for the 7 to 24 gigahertz, which is a relevant spectrum for 6G and also came out as identified uh, from the World, right, uh, the World Radio Con uh, Conference back in November as an important uh, piece of a spectrum in view of, 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 of 6G. And then uh, a channel model for integrated sensing and communication, which the, really the objective is to have a model that is detailed enough that would be able to model object uh, detection and object training. And object could be a drone, could be a human being, could be a car, a vehicle of any sort, and then actually you won't you want to be able to track it, uh, to track it to basically reduce hazards in the in the road, or or to to basically for drones for obvious reasons to avoid collisions and so on. And I think the, this um, summarizes at the at the high level. Maybe I, I touch upon already some of the projects, but uh, in the mix I just brought in those three um, big categories of, of of projects as we've seen in release nineteen. Yeah, th thanks for that, Juan. Uh, you touched on a number of outcomes. And how do you think the study's outcomes will affect the development and deployment of 5G standalone, 5G SA, and 5G advanced? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, 5G standalone is something that came out in release 15. So release 15, is uh, it was an unusual release because it did it was the first release of 5G, and it had what we were calling three drops. So they were three points in time where the, the specifications were released, which typically is unusual, right? It's one point at the end of a run release. So this basically is a release that created three versions. The first one was the non-standalone. That was the early drop. That was the accelerated 5G. Then the regular drop was standalone. Um, and then there was a late drop for uh, non-standalone, but with a 5G core which was only introduced in the nominal release, not in the fast one, because the non-standalone, the first version, what we were calling option three, LTE anchor with a 4G core, what we call EPC, and then a secondary uh, NR, a 5G NR radio, right? I mean, in, in other words, uh, NR is a booster for increased capacity uh, on, on a 4G network. Standalone, I mean, right now, why uh, it should be deployable uh, anytime. I mean, uh, I think operators, in some uh, geographies have been much faster to embrace a standalone, um, China being a, a very good example, but also in the US, Timor USA, uh, Verizon are, are basically, and I believe AT&T. So the three big operators are, are already, if not fully on standalone, uh, migrating. Maybe other regions as Europe, uh, maybe it's a bit slower, but uh, with the standalone comes with already the 5G core that brings in um, the possibility to deploy some of the uh, uh, features. And I think one that comes in mind, uh, important uh, feature was this release 17 introduced reduce capability or red cap, uh, which was this NR uh, targeting a little bit uh, lower capability so that actually the, the, the price point could actually be reduced and then make it more accessible for if not smartphones, uh, certainly for other type of devices. Now, 5G Advance is release 18 onwards, right? So it will be release 18, which still we're working on. Uh, so we 
functionally froze the contents of it, but we are wrapping up the, the, the protocol until uh, June this year. And then in release, uh, release 19 is true, as I think Pat was saying, in Q1, we are going to start, there is a bit of a skewing of both releases, and it will be the culmination of this 5G advance because some of the very uh, juicy projects uh, for 5G advance were initiated in release 18 with a, a release long study and are just going to be materialized in release 19 with a normative work, normative being specification work. So you mentioned sustainability before, and it's interesting because uh, Ted Rappaport, the professor at NYU sure. Wireless, just approached us and said he's come up with a waste factor, so a figure of merit for sustainability. And I wonder, well, what are the potential emergence of new sustainability use cases? I mean, typically, I mean, I think a lot of it comes from uh, com uh, energy consumption, right? I mean, energy consumption, the, the least uh, you can actually uh, consume, um, the more sustainable sustainable things will be. I believe we're not getting into the manufacturing. I don't know. The standards certainly 3GPP will not be able to do much. But at the very least, it will be able to do uh, to provide the hooks to basically reduce the, the energy consumption primarily or not not just at the at the terminals which is a, a KPI for end users right i mean you don't want your battery to drain after uh, before the end of the day but also very importantly for for uh, operators uh, for their uh, opex right i mean uh, as we were saying there is actually an interesting uh, 5g platform was designed with forward compatibility uh, very present from day 1 but one thing um, that actually any real, any generation when it's introduced comes in with already an implementation that becomes the legacy, the legacy uh, devices. And those devices, what they can and cannot do, it's many times going to govern how many changes you can do on the network side. And I think right now uh, for 5G, I think we, we've done pretty much everything we could to basically reduce uh, or make it more sustainable the energy, reduce the energy consumption, make it more sustainable uh, at the network side without impacting uh, legacy. If we want to do more, and of course we could always do more, there could be some impact. And in general, there is resistance. There is resistance to for operators. They understand, I mean, it could be on their favor to reduce their, their electricity bill, but at the same time, they cannot really provide a service that becomes, um, you know, a handicap just because anything that would actually open opportunities for the network to do power savings is going to have an impact on the terminal side because typically all the solutions uh, hinge on the possibility to send less, uh, less stuff, right? I mean, less signals to latch on or less uh, dimensions, uh, special dimensions, less antenna transmissions. So less things in time, in frequency, in space, which actually reduce the overall power consumption. And typically all these network operators or, or networks, uh, operator networks, most of the power comes from the radio uh, units, from the radio units themselves, the ones that ha have these uh, amplifiers. And then uh, basically those are the ones that are actually consuming the most. And those are the ones that we are trying to to, to get on uh, to reduce um, to the extent that is possible, provided a acceptable, at, uh, if not any, even unnoticeable uh, legacy impact. Of course, in CG, there is a reset, right? I mean, this is why from time to time, we, we have to uh, basically change the generation so that actually you can have a new legacy. And a new legacy, I'm pretty sure in 6G, 
from 4G to 5G will reduce a lot um, the number of always on signals. We will further reduce it in, in CG to the extent uh, basically to facilitate effectively this energy savings at the network side. Yeah, it's an important area, certainly. So uh, thanks for that answer. That was very comprehensive. Mm -hmm. um, how will the study items provide an initial roadmap to prepare wireless for technologies that will emerge years from now? I mean, there are, I think, um, I'm thinking there are, I would say, four projects that actually I think are going to basically create some trends. One is, uh, I, I think I, I mentioned all but one. Um, what is this AI ML? Very trendy. Uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning applied to aid interface problems, right? So 3GPP had not nothing about it up to release 18. And what we've done in release 18 is actually take a look, a very fresh look into three problems that typically we would know how to handle in a conventional fashion. And this is a non-AI ML uh, type fashion. They were CSI, so channel state information feedback. There will be management, um, effectively, sorts of prediction of, of, of beams that would be optimized in either spatial or, or, or temporal domain. And then uh, positioning, effectively increasing the currency of positioning method, uh, methods, uh, either direct or, or assisted. Uh, assisted meaning AI ML would actually assist it is the terminal will, will, will send a measurement and that measurement will be used for the computation of the, the, the coordinates, uh, uh, for example, at the network side. Now, th those, uh, those three use cases have been developed uh, and basically a general framework to cover beam management and uh, positioning will be developed with uh, the goal to basically go beyond those two because those were to think about pilot examples. Uh, and basically, we will address those, we will support those, but the idea would be, can I do pretty much anything I want with the possibility to, instead of having a particular analytical optimization, I want to do a, a little brain, a, a little uh, engine to basically, based on, on, on data learning, right, uh, you will actually come up with an answer. And this is actually something that 3GPP is really getting into and I think is going to have a, a long lasting impact. There are a few areas that are still are going to be studied through release 19. Those are what we call study objectives as part of this uh, project. The other area is a duplexing evolution. Duplexing typically, you know, um, typically spectrum is, is divided in frequency division duplexing or pair spectrum, where you have downlink and uplink transmissions on separate really separated uh, parts uh, with uh, a duplexing distance in between or unpaired spectrum or TDD, time division duplexing. And what we are trying to do is evolving this time division duplexing to basically enable the possibility to transmit and receive on the same resources, on the same frequencies at the same point in time. And actually we are doing this with uh, a little trick with, uh, with this uh, effectively what we call sub-bandful sub duplex, which is uh, we make a hole on the downlink on, on a strip of frequencies, and that is basically the, the uh, interval in, in, in frequency that you would not transmit but receive. So basically on the same resources, you are effectively creating a, this uh, uh, uplink and downlink or transmission and reception. Effectively is now converting a, a what before was a TDD spectrum with very rigid uplink or downlink directions into something that could, could actually be much more dynamic. Uh, dynamic also giving more opportunities, typically the wireless systems are uplink limited because the terminal is always has a, a, a health-wise uh, power limit transmission. 
that actually just because you don't want to put so much radiation through your body and actually is the one that is the is the lone pole in any communication system, the uplink, whether it's cellular or satellite. So it's the transmission from the terminal. So the more opportunities you give to, to the terminal to be able to transmit, which in TDDs is typically very little, maybe it's 20% of the time because it's, it's typically 80% downing heavy, then it, you would actually improve coverage and you would improve latency because now you will have more opportunities to transmit um, when before you didn't. And then uh, another area is, uh, I mentioned this network energy savings that we discussed about, but then having imagined that now you create something that uh, it would be a modem with a, a little assistance piece of hardware uh, uh, in the probably in the in the RF domain that would actually be able to detect some very simple information in the form of maybe energy. I mean, it's on of king. It's something there or not, and that is going to be used to wake up the modem. And good, you would only basically launch this uh, more much more power consumption, uh, power hungry part of the receiver only when it's absolutely necessary. So this is what we call low power wake up, low power wake, wake up signal or wake up radio. And then the area, the fourth that I mentioned, I, I had not mentioned earlier was what is called ambient IoT, ambient internet of things. Think about battery-less devices in a form factor of a tag and a tag being really a piece of paper. So modems that could be printed and then the question is, of course, 3GPP is new to it. Uh, others are doing it, a proprietary or um, IEEE, uh, Bluetooth, and, and so on could, could actually uh, try to do it as well. But 3GPP just got into it. Uh, still a lot of questions to be answered. I mean, why 3GPP and why, why would it be better? But I believe that the, we know what could actually make it attractive and maybe something that nobody else can do. And it's actually extended uh, coverage. And, and why we would get this extended coverage? Because we have the license spectrum. And the market will tell whether actually 3GPP is able to succeed. But this is another huge uh, research area. Start with a study in Release 19 in December. So at the end of the year, we will decide whether we convert to normative. And if, if it's not converted, we will do it in Release 20. But in my opinion, it's going to also open an entire new myriad of actually possibilities for the internet, uh, interconnecting everything with everything else. You mentioned duplexing and the way you described it, it was just kind of using a, a subdomain of frequencies within the one. Have you seen anybody, we've seen some companies developing full duplex devices with enough yeah. isolation to transmit and receive. Have you seen much in that area? So that that is an excellent point, right? So it is possible. I mean, I think uh, pretty much every probably research program in every company has tried. I mean, we've tried, uh, but it's a much more difficult problem to solve. It's what we call uh, effectively fully overlap, full duplex. I mean, of course, in the podcast, people will not be able to see figures or, or actually even if I now play with my hands, right? But I think you understood, right, what I said, right? You create a strip where you don't transmit and in that strip you will receive. So think about it is a, a duplexing with zero duplexing separation. But at least you make a hole on the place where you will receive so that you won't have this first order self-interference. You will have certainly the adjacent uh, subcarriers, but at least the ones underneath yourself will, will not be there. Full duplex, everything that you transmit, it's on top of your reception, right? It's a much more hard problem to do. What Qualcomm has been trying to uh, uh, prototype and has been successful in so 
it's actually a full duplex for maybe millimeter wave, where maybe you receive from the back and you transmit through the front, right? So there is already a, a, a special separation. I mean, uh, by just basically the beamforming characteristics, right? So this self-interference gets reduced by, by this isolation that you are creating in the spatial domain. Um, of course, even this full duplex I was mentioning earlier, where we are doing is actually the antenna panel, which are basically many of them, right? I mean, they could be, uh, it's a matrix of whatever, 16 by eight or whatever it is. Now you will break it in two. One will transmit while the other will receive. So there is there will be a little bit even of a special separation in that implementation as well. And and yes, we for a couple of uh, NWCs, our research program has actually been demoing uh, this uh, subband full duplex, and yeah, it, it's working in a in a massive MIMO context. Yeah, I mean we are fairly confident that this could be done now. Will operators now rip off their deployments and then uh, just change it, uh, upgrade? Uh, we, 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 I mean, we don't know. But at the very least, we, we know if there was a new deployment, I mean, whether now or, or later in a, in a, in 6G, this could actually be done, right? And we know what we will need to do. And I'm certain that this will be a feature from day one in 6G networks. Well, great. Uh, and, and thanks, Juan, for talking with us today about 5G advanced and the path to 6G. Uh, sounds like a very ambitious release. Yeah. So uh, thanks for giving us that great overview on that. And uh, we hope to have you back later this year for an update. We'll see how Qualcomm and uh, the rest of the industry is doing. And to our audience, you can find more podcasts at podcast.microwavejournal.com. And thank you for listening. <laughs>